Hi everyone, welcome back to Hitchcock University where you learn filmmaking from the masters. Okay, let's get started. Um, I do not have a question from our listeners today. However, if you have a question, feel free to shoot that over to me at hitchcockuniversity at gmail.com. So I guess we're just going to get right into this one. Um, so we're nearing a new era in Hitch's career. Um, it was really the era that most of us, at least in the United States, are really familiar with. And the biggest indicator of that era is the cinematography done in this film by Robert Burks, who ironically was nominated for Best Black and White Cinematography in this movie. Uh, he became a very close friend of Hitchcock, went on to be the cinematographer on many of his films that we're going to talk about, uh, all the way up until his death, actually. Um, Hitch really trusted Robert Burks. Uh, he never had to look in the eyepiece of the camera with Robert. He knew exactly what he was getting uh, when Robert Burks uh, lensed a shot to set up a shot for him. And there's a really implicit trust and respect for him uh, that, that I think uh, to some extent is evident in their work. Um, and it's a, it's a friendship that I think is really indicative of Hitchcock and his sense of loyalty to people that, that worked well with him. It's something I, that, that we're not going to talk about in this episode. I'm hoping maybe we can do, maybe as a closing to this season, sort of a, sort of a life, life lessons from Hitchcock after we're done talking about the heavy stuff. Um, you know, so maybe we'll get into that later. But today I'd like to talk about Strangers on a Train. Strangers on a Train is a story of a man named Guy. He's a tennis player who's in the middle of a messy divorce and meets an eccentric man named Bruno. They meet on a train, hence the title, um, and find out that Bruno wants his father dead and he, Bruno, assumes that Guy wants his wife dead. So Bruno suggests that they should swap murders, crisscross, as he says. Um... Guy, of course, thinks this is some sort of weirdo, doesn't really take him seriously, uh, but is in for a surprise when Bruno thinks that Guy agreed to this murder swap. This is a fascinating movie, a movie that I think everyone needs to watch. Um, so, so wonderful, so full of suspense, full of some phenomenal cinematography, some great acting, uh, some really, really on-point storytelling from Hitchcock. But the First thing I want to get into today is is I want to get back to something that we haven't covered since blackmail. This idea of this kind of German expressionism that crept into, not crept, was really embraced by Alfred Hitchcock. Um, some of you may remember, I'm going to review this. Hitchcock learned art direction and to a large extent filmmaking uh, through observing Germans, German filmmakers when he was there. Um, he was working for a British company at the time who did a movie in Germany, and he got to see one of the classic German and German expressionist films being made called The Last Laugh. If you have not seen The Last Laugh and you love film history, you have to track this movie down. It's on Amazon. You can rent it very easily. Um, truly phenomenal. Um, and if you're not familiar with German expressionism, let me pause a minute so we can kind of work some of that out. So German Expressionism was a very specific style of filmmaking that focused on a few things, at least visually. I haven't read enough from the theorists of the time about 
some of the some of the other things that I've heard, but I haven't verified yet. But I want to s- focus on the visuals because that's what Hitch really took and applied to his movies. They were focused on two things: geometric shapes and shadows. Those are the two things that really define German Expressionism. Uh, we see the influences of German Expressionism in film noir and in Tim Burton films. So that kind of gives you a sense. Just imagine older, more raw versions of a noir or a Burton film. These German filmmakers really understood that shadows and contrast were just as important, if not more so, than what was put under the bright lights. They utilized silhouettes. They utilized harsh lights, dark, dark shadows, heavy contrast, those sorts of styles of photography in their filmmaking. Hitch realized that that was very effective and and, and seemed to understand what they were doing. And so he applied it to his film The Lodger, which we've talked about. Go back and listen to episode one. I know the sound quality is poor, but you can do it anyway. Um, in fact, he said, and I quote, too many directors overlight their sets. Shadows are equally important. I work in the lighting department right now um, as a freelancer, and I can tell you that that is absolutely the case. You don't want to overlight your set. I understand reducing contrast to a certain extent. I don't understand removing shadows. That makes no sense. Shadows are what makes what what, what makes life as we know it. Um, every object that light hits casts a shadow. It's a matter of placing those shadows in the right areas to create a photogenic image. Anyway, that's my soapbox. Let's get back to Hitchcock. So we see that this is so, so in Strangers on Train, we see a very, very strong return to this German expressionist kind of filming. Um, and it's, it's been sprinkled into to other films that we've talked about, but it is so evident in this film. Um, I think IMDb even goes so far as to call this a film noir, and film noir was sort of the first, uh, sort of the first child of the German expressionist movement as that died down in the 20s and brought life to the noir in in the United States at least. But yeah, deep, dark, rich shadows. Um, they look excellent on Blu-ray. Um, there's a I got mine in a box set with uh, Dial In For Murder and North by Northwest. They, it, it looks incredible. Um, you know, the, but when he's got these deep, dark, harsh shadows, you know, that just split faces right down the middle. And, and there's, there's scenes of creeping through the night where uh, guys are coming out of the being heavy backlit full silhouettes and closing the door behind them. And, you know, shadows coming unnaturally up through a second story and casting shadows of the window panes on the ceilings and just all these phenomenal lighting techniques that uh, have kind of been lost today. Uh, we see some of them in some horror films. I'm not a big fan of horror films, so I don't really know. Uh, but these these really phenomenal ways of, of visually telling a story through the lighting um, that tell the story of a, uh, of a dark underbelly of society, that tells a story that involves, um, as one of the characters repeatedly brings up, this idea of, of, of deep, dark 
desires of people. Something else Hitch talked about that also concerned the lodger was this idea of the chase. We've talked about this a little bit. I'm, I'm pivoting very quickly away from German Expressionism because unfortunately Hitch admits that he was influenced by it, but he doesn't talk a lot about how, so I'm kind of pivoting away back to something that we have talked about um, and that he talked about a lot, but I want to dive into a little bit more. Um, this idea of the chase. We've talked about the idea of the chase as suspense. What does that mean? Well, we talked about um, if you race a train car and, a, and, a, and a, a sedan next to each other to the next intersection, um, you know, the audience, there, there's inherent suspense in that. Well, in Hitchcock on Hitchcock by Sidney Gottlieb, or Compod by Sidney Gottlieb, there's an essay in there called Core of the Movie, The Chase. And Hitch describes the chase as someone running toward a goal while being pursued. Okay, that makes sense. I understand that. Um, Mad Max Fury Road, right? Someone running toward a goal while being pursued. Understood. However, Hitch Hitch feels that that uh, the chase is really something special to cinema. He says that it is the final expression of the medium. And I think that's fascinating because when you think about it, he might be right. He says that you can't do it on stage because you're so limited to the proscenium. Um, and it's hard to do it in books because books by nature are picked up and put down again. You don't have that continuous action that the cinema allows you. So to review, in The Lodger, you have the killer, the Avenger, who's being pursued by the whole town. It's set up in the, in the first 20 minutes or so uh, very beautifully. I think I kind of walked us through that. But in Strangers of a Train, it's Guy's pursuit to clear his name, which is a little abstract, a little too abstract probably even for Hitch, but becomes very literal in his pursuit of Bruno because we find out that Bruno is going to... um, Bruno's going to do something that will very clearly incriminate Guy. So Guy now has to stop him. Problem is, as I said before, Guy's a tennis player, right? Well, he has a tennis match scheduled for that day because Bruno's no dummy. He plans his his incrimination around tennis match. And suspense builds from this because we know exactly what each character is doing and what obstacles they're trying to overcome. And they don't know what the other person's doing. So inherent suspense in that scene. But if you think about it, it's a chase. Guy has to finish his tennis match in time to go catch Bruno. Bruno has to go plant... Bruno has to go incriminate Guy before the tennis match ends and Guy catches up to him. It's a chase. And that's one of the things that Hitch talks about. Hitch, Hitch in this essay, spoke very, very specifically about this idea of taking the chase out of the idea of, you know, one person running after another. But, but expanding on it in a way that the chase becomes two competing goals that might be separated by time and space. So that's Hitch in the Chase, as he put it, the final expression of cinema. Now, one last link that I want to I put back to the lodger is in visual storytelling. In fact, uh, an extended scene of almost silent storytelling. And I'm sorry, I'm kind of flying through this. I didn't mean to do that. 
Hitch talks about how Fritz Lane's film, The Last Laugh, the one that he saw being filmed, had no titles at all, no intertitles. Silent film with no intertitles. Everything was displayed and communicated to the audience through the, through the picture itself. And that was something that he ended up doing limited in The Lodger. He, 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 uh, he and a man by the name of Ivor Montague went through the movie and cut out as many of the titles as was possible. Right, and that's that's Hitch's background and 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 uh, foundation for visual storytelling. Well, he takes that a step further in this movie because you have a movie that has sound, but he intentionally removes all dialogue. Or Remember, Bruno thinks the guy agreed to the murder swap. So there's a scene where he begins stalking Guy's wife, and this is another chase, if you think about it. Um, because his goal is to catch up to her and kill her. And she goes to the fair, and he follows her through the fair, and she goes gets on the merry-go-round, and he gets on the merry-go-round, and she goes into the tunnel of love, and he goes into the tunnel of love, and she gets on the island, and he goes to the island. And all of it is done without them saying a word to each other. The only, quote, dialogue that they share is that they sing the song on the merry-go-round together. But they don't, they're, they're not talking to each other. So we have this, oh, I don't know, it's probably a 10-minute scene without any real dialogue between our two main characters in that scene. And that's another example of visual storytelling. Your characters don't have to talk to each other. They just have to do. So, yeah, I, I, uh, I apologize. I've, I've kind of flown through this. Um, these episodes seem to be getting shorter all the time. Um, I'm going to try to avoid that in the future, but I can't promise anything. Uh, part of the problem is I'm trying to uh, trying to fit this within my schedule, and uh, hopefully I'm I'm able to do that. But it has uh, it has cut down significantly on my prep time, which is unfortunate. Um, but I hope you guys are learning something. If you're not, let me know. If you are, let me know. Uh, you can reach me. Um, at hitchcockuniversity at gmail.com. You can also uh, leave some kind of feedback, rating, review, on wherever you listen to the show, iTunes, uh, uh, SoundCloud, uh, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, whatever it may be. Um, and uh, or, or you can um, send something over to over onto Twitter. I'm uh, at Hitchcock underscore you or um, or on the Facebook uh, Hitchcock University uh, page. Um, uh, yeah, feel free to send questions, feedback, whatever it is you may have. Uh, I certainly would love to hear from you guys and try to get some sort of a dialogue going between uh, myself and what few listeners I may have. Uh, yeah, thanks again. Uh, class, is, class is out for today. Uh, we will resume class in two weeks uh, here at Hitchcock University where you learn filmmaking from the masters. Uh, thanks.